Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of the By Word Show. You guys, we're in for a treat today because I've got Aurelia Davila Pratt with us, and she is a pastor and author. She's actually got a book coming out that will be out by the time you're listening to this, and we have so much to dive into today. So before we begin, Aurelia, would you just introduce yourself to those who don't know you yet? And I'm a pastor at a church that meets in Round Rock, Texas. And uh, I've been in this area for about 10 years, in Texas for about 14 years. Um, I have a husband, a six-year-old daughter, and um, yeah, most recently, just a book out. That is so amazing. Well, will you tell us about this book? Because this is incredible and, and it's your story, but it's also like a journey that so many women can relate to. And so would you just tell us a little bit about your story and then also what prompted you to write this book? Sure. Um, yeah, I think I'll just, I'll just say that. Well, okay. First of all, I, I'll say that spirit prompted me, which I don't always say things like that, but I really felt this prompting by spirit to write a book, but I didn't really know why that happened. Um, but the reason that I say that I do feel validated is because it all happened so quickly and it was not my intention to publish a book, <laughs> but that's what happened. Um, so basically I had some ideas and I felt compelled to write them down. And um, what started coming out were stories about my childhood and stories about like racial trauma and experiences that I was just now processing as an adult. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know I was writing a book when I started to write those down. I, I was just sort of writing for my own healing. Um, but I also knew that that somehow it was probably going to be a book because of this nudge that I had from spirit to just keep writing. Um, and then what's really funny is that I had a a writer colleague reach out to me who we're just kind of acquaintances. We don't really have a relationship or anything, but he just reached out and said, Hey, can I help you in any way? And I was like, actually I have all these ideas and I'm not sure. Is it a book? Is it an article? Is it just a journal entry that, you know, it doesn't always have to be a book or something people read. Um, so he let me pick his brain and I shared kind of workshop my ideas and we just got off the phone and, he was like, I'm going to give you an arbitrary deadline. Like we'll talk in six weeks and well, I don't know what you're going to do. Just know we're going to talk on this date. It was like October 28th, <laughs> 2020. And, um, I had a book proposal, a meeting with an editor. Wow. Like it just all came together so fast. Yeah. Well, and, and then the last two years has been the journey of writing and, and getting it out. That is incredible. That's amazing. And I, I think it's so powerful too, that you're saying like, you just felt the spirit prompting this. And it's so crazy because with my books, I've had a similar experience of just feeling prompted to write. And then it ends up being such a healing experience for, for, for me, like as you're writing, you're just processing, like you said, even stories from childhood, it's like, wow, I didn't even know this was all in here. And now it's just connecting all these dots. It's kind of cool. You get to step back a little bit as you're reflecting on your story and see the big picture and how God has woven all the pieces together. And so I'm sure that was just such an incredible process for you. And I just love how it's all come together and now it's going out into the world. And so you touched on a few of these things, but what would you say are the main things in your story that you've had to kind of process and heal through? Backtracking a little bit, I just want to say that it's not enough just to get inspired. You have to actually like then follow 
Mm. and like be consistent and do the work. And yeah, because the reason I want to say that is because I feel like so many of us just wait for opportunities to happen and just hope certain doors will open. And if you only write when you're inspired, you're mm. going to complete the assignment, right. you know? And so, um, ha- like showing up and every day, day in, day out, writing stories that were really painful to think about. Um, and also vulnerable to where I would write something and I would feel like that overwhelm. Maybe you'll know what I'm talking about where you just feel so stupid. Like you're like, this is dumb. Yep. <laughs> and I would have just stopped. Mm. I know I would have let those barriers of shame and vulnerability just let me give up and be like, you know, this was a dumb idea. Mm. Um, so that follow through of conceive of writing um, and believing the vision you were given, even when you don't feel like of inspiration 24-7. That's so good. I totally agree. I've definitely been there where it's like, you know, I feel prompted to do something, but then I just wait until I have time or I wait until my circumstances are perfect. And it's like, that's not always the way it plays out. I feel like a lot of the time the Lord uses those opportunities as, as you know, like a, an opportunity for us to take steps forward. And then we end up experiencing that healing in the process. And it's like, it takes activation on our part to actually experience not only the assignment that he's giving us, but all the things in the process that are a byproduct of our obedience that are actually for our good as well. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a huge point that I don't think is talked about very much. I was curious since you touched on things like, you know, you've talked about like racial trauma and other things that you've experienced, like what are some of those things in your story that you've really had to step back and process through in order to be able to experience that healing? And the concept of microaggressions and that the stories that I'm talking about in this book are not like super crazy. Like they're more nuanced. They're more like under the microscope of, oh, these small things add up over time. And for a woman of color, for a black woman, a brown woman, an indigenous woman, um, these things add up over the course of their life, mm. of our life. It was very vulnerable to write stories about experiences I had that people of color will say this was a racist experience, mm. but that we haven't always felt allowed to call racist because it's a microaggression as opposed to something really blatant. Wow. Because I always say, most of us are not blatantly racist, right? Most of us are against blatant acts of racism <laughs> right. and will call those down. It's the microaggressions that happen day in, day out that are so hard for people to talk about. And so in this book, I tr- I really try to use my story to, to kind of explain, you know, what, what I mean by microaggressions in a way that doesn't shame anyone, mm-hmm. doesn't make anyone feel guilty, but just to be honest and to, to call out something that a lot of people of color don't always feel like we're allowed to name. Mm. I think that's a great point because like you even mentioned, it's like, I'm, I'm sure scary for you to say, cause it's you, like you said, you haven't felt that space to be able to talk about the things that aren't blatantly racist, but in doing so, have you found that you've gotten a response from a lot of other women who've experienced similar things that didn't feel like they had room to speak? Yeah. And in fact, I had, about 14 people endorsed the book in the end that if you buy the book, you can read all their endorsements at the beginning. And um, about, I want to say nine of them were Latina women like me. Um, but I grew up in, really disconnected from my racial. 
I always felt really ashamed about that. Mm. And like, I wasn't allowed to be a part of that community because I wasn't within it in my childhood and adolescent context. And I talk a lot about this shame I felt in the book. Mm. But anyway, all that to say, I've been in predominantly white contexts most recently in the last 10 years in my church and even in the family that I married into. And so I was not sure how other people of color, other women of color, other Latina women would resonate, but other Latina women and women of color who have read the book already have given me this incredible feedback. I've had people who are not people of color um, read it and feel like the book was also for them too. Mm -hmm. So I really tried to make it accessible to anyone who and um, I tried to do that by using a thread of compassion. Yeah. Mm, that's so beautiful. I think that's so helpful for so many reasons because your vulnerability and sharing your experience really does give freedom for so many other women of color to be able to feel free to speak or even to feel seen and heard and understood. And I love that about your book. And I also think it's amazing that you've just shared your journey in a way that's applicable to any woman. And something that I think is so cool that you talk about is this idea that our inner work becomes the starting point for creating heaven on earth. Could you kind of explain where that comes from and what it means to you? Yeah, so um, my favorite piece of theology, which is basically what this book is all about, is um, Imago Dei. Talk about it in the book, but it's basically we were made in the image of God and the spirit of God lives within each of us. So it's really a foundational belief for a lot of Christians Mm -hmm. and it's a foundational belief for sure. So what I'm trying to say when I talk about inner work being the starting point for creating heaven on earth, I'm trying to say that when we fully acknowledge that um, the image of God is within ourselves, we can no longer neglect the same truth for others. Mm -hmm. others are also made in the image of God. And so our own healing and thriving supports our continued heaven on earth work, which some call justice, some call resurrection work, some call liberation work, whatever you call it, collective healing that God calls us to, which I believe is the resurrection work. Mm, I love that so much. And I've experienced that for myself as well. It's so crazy when you really start stepping into like leaning into that healing process, the ripple effect that it causes, like, it's just amazing to me. Like when you start experiencing freedom, it just kind of overflows into every area of your life. And especially in relationships, like I think it just continue as we continue to heal, we continue to grow in perspective, which helps us so much in the way that we relate to other people, which I feel like is such a a beautiful part of how God designed a relationship with him and also the way that we evolve as we grow with him. It's just so cool to see. And I think that's such a great point and a way to put it, because I feel like at times in my life where I haven't been as intentional about growing or, um, you know, like investing in my spiritual health, even physical health, whatever it may be, I feel my relationships grow stagnant. I feel my relationship with God grow stagnant. And so it's just such an interesting perspective to step back and make that connection because it's so true. Like as we continue to grow and change and become more like Jesus and grow closer to him, it affects everything around us, especially our relationship with people. And so I think it is so important for us to continually be on that journey for the sake of like, like you said, continuing to do that work and 
bringing heaven to earth. It's so important. Yeah. And I think that if we're not feeling that connection, then it, then there's something within us that, you know, some awareness that Mm -hmm. we haven't woken up to yet. Um, Because I think that naturally, if we truly are God within us, then we cannot ignore Mm. acknowledging God within others. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that process like for you? Like, how did you begin to grow in awareness for yourself and then also make that connection to in relation to others? For me, I was more prone to giving and serving and and kind of like being a martyr, Mm -hmm. which now I'm like, no, that's not what God (laughs) wants for me. Um, But for me, it started with this realization that I didn't trust myself. And I actually talk about this in in a whole chapter in a book, and I tell this in my book, but I tell this story where I had this sort of faith crisis moment one morning several years ago where I was like, everything's good right now, but what if something terrible happens? Mm-hmm. Like, is my faith just going to crumble? Yeah. I, I just felt really disconnected and afraid of, of where I was. And um, I heard like God, I heard God speak to me, but it was like within me. And I heard these words, which were, you will never be confident in your faith in God if you don't trust your own spirit. Mm-hmm. Like the spirit of God that lives within me, you know, that's where God is mm-hmm. <laughs> also, you know? Yeah. And so that journey of learning to trust and believe. That God- yeah, that's so good. So with that, I'm curious because this is another thing you talk about is being able to really step into your power. So what are some things that you've seen keep women from really truly being able to step into that power or start that healing process and doing the inner work power is the various messaging that we're sent throughout our lives and anyone could relate to this uh bad theology a lot Mm. um that one verse that gets used your heart is deceitful above all things um i really i have preached sermons i've on this text i have written poems on it i've really like put a microscope on this text because i feel like it's been misused and um i feel like especially for women we have absorbed that our, our lives that we don't we can't trust ourselves we can't trust our hearts. We can't trust our emotions. And value is not always affirmed outside of the title of like mom or wife. Mm-hmm. And these are all messages that get, we absorb. They affect how we see ourselves. Yeah. And as I say in the book, step out of the harmful ones mm-hmm. that we, that aren't helping us, that aren't serving us as our birthright. It doesn't look the same for everyone, Mm. but I do think a lot of women could relate to the messaging. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's so hard because there are so many voices telling us these messages, right? And so what advice would you get? Like, how do we tune out those voices and start to tune into truth so that those things don't trip us up and keep us from accessing the power that that's already in us from God? Well, I'm glad you asked because I, in my book, I do not offer a prescription. It is not a how-to book. It's not a like, follow these few steps. 
I, I, I'm, that's not my personality. I, I, I don't want anyone to like order this book and then be disappointed that I didn't <laughs> like line it out for everyone. Cause I did not do that. Um, but that said, like, I don't think there's a blueprint out there talking about intuition. We have to leave space for our different identities, our different experiences, our different personalities. And so I think that exploring the layers, the layers that keep you from trusting it or whatever it is, but also, I mean, there's a lot of things we could do that are practical, but a couple that come to mind for me right off the bat, one is embodiment, because I think that we, um, we because we've been souls are good and our bodies are bad mm-hmm. like whether it maybe it wasn't um, conscious that we have become disconnected to our bodies yeah so like we don't even know what they're telling us we don't know when we're tired we don't know mm-hmm. when we don't feel good and they know to something yeah. we're just so disconnected from our bodies and so I feel like if you're going to go on the intuition journey, you have to bring your body with you because mm. th- there's not a disconnect there. It's, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> we were made, like we were made in the image of God, our, our bodies. And yeah, in that, I think so too. It's so interesting because that's one that I've only been really hearing about and learning about for myself in very recent years. And the more than I think about it, it just makes so much sense because all of it is created in God's image. Like all of it is connected and you have to kind of take this holistic approach because God uses our body to speak to us. He, he speaks to us in nature. He speaks to us in like all these ways. It's all connected, but because we've so neglected that body piece, I think you're so right. Like we miss the ways that our body can lead us. And even just, you know, the simple thing of sensing peace in our body or sensing, you know, discernment in our body. Like that's something that we've just been so disconnected from, just like you said. And so it's just really interesting hearing that perspective and like learning about it for myself, because that was such a weird foreign concept to me in the beginning, but now it just makes so much sense, especially in the context of something as simple as learning to rest, learning how to nourish your body. Like it's all tools that God gave us in order to learn how to care for ourselves and to live well. And so I think it's amazing that you're talking about that and speaking up about that because I don't know, I, maybe it's just me, but I feel like the church kind of resists that because it has some weird yeah. connotations out in the world, but I, I just, I'm with you. I think it's so connected. Absolutely. And I think it's, and there's some really beautiful ways to, to include embodiment in your spiritual practices, whether that's through, body prayer, which I talk about in my book, body, I don't talk about this, but body scans, like you can, you can take time to go, okay, how am I feeling in my head? How am I feeling in my mid area? Yeah. How am I feeling in my toes? Like even just that pause, mm. even just that pause, we don't pause enough. Yes. We weren't paying attention. Basically embodiment helps us pay deeper. Yeah. That is so good. I think you're so right. Cause there there's so many times that I miss God because I just won't be still enough to hear. And I feel like sometimes your body gives you those signs. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I love that so much. So along with that idea of reclaiming your power and processing these things, a big part for me of just stepping into purpose and power is empowering other women to come along with you on the journey. And this is something we kind of already touched on in the beginning is that idea that the inner work that we do is what helps us 
carry that on in the world kingdom work and in relation to other people. And something that you talk about is elevating the voices of women on the margins. I think it's so amazing. And I'm just wondering, could you share what that has looked like for you? And then how, as a community of women, we can do a better job of what, like when it comes to this? Historically or currently in society, um, I, spoken, I reference all the time because it's a theology that I really, that I really believe in is the preferential option for the poor. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that wording, but no. it is throughout the Bible of preference being shown to the well-being of the poor. Now, we know that God cares for everyone and God loves everyone. But if we even just put a microscope even further on it and look at the life of Jesus, Jesus lived on the margin. Mm. That's who his closest friends were. It wasn't, it wasn't the religious leaders or the people in power or the people doing well. It was the people who were struggling were sick mm-hmm. and who were um, neglected and who were outcasts. Right. That's who Jesus was with. And so for me, I, I buy it. I buy that theology. Mm-hmm. So because I follow Jesus and I see that's what Jesus was doing, I believe that we're called to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And for me, one way we sit at the feet of Jesus is that we can sit at the feet of the poor and power and all specifically women of color, specifically black women. Mm. And um, I think children, mm. elderly, disabled, like any groups that, that are kind of on, on the margin. Yeah. Those are the, and what I mean by sitting at their feet is like, what are they saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they saying? What are you about that? Are we really listening to what they're saying with an open heart? Because I think that's what it means. Mm. That's so good. And that's so challenging in the best way, because this is something that for me, like as a white Christian in the Bible belt of the U S like, it's just something that I grew up with a lack of awareness. And it's something that I've been intentionally trying to just educate myself more on, because I I even was reading a book earlier this week and it was talking about how, you know, Maybe the problem isn't so much that Christians don't care about the poor. It's that they don't even know the poor. And I was thinking about this and it's like, yeah, just like you said, fill in the blank there where it says poor with anybody on the margins. It's like, do we know them? Do we know their story? Are we spending time with them? Do we know their name? Do we even have a relationship with them to where we could serve them and love them the way that Jesus actually would if he was here? And so it's it's so challenging for me to hear because. I know that I can do better and I want to do better. And so I think it's amazing that you are calling us to action to do that because this is a definitely a missing piece in the church today. You know, my thing is, is like, we don't, none of us need shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, no one's feel ashamed. Um, but I like to imagine the rich young ruler walking up to Jesus and saying, Hey, what do I need to do? And Jesus is like, Give up everything <laughs> way. And I always think when it comes to these conversations, when it comes to sitting at the feet of Jesus in our day, what does that look like? Well, if it looks like what he did, which was to truly like be there mm. for the people on the margins and to love them well and to heal them, right? Let's believe that God can grant us the power and the energy 
to engage these our day. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's my hope for us. Oh, yeah. Conversation. Oh, that's so good. I love it. And I definitely think there needs to be a whole lot more of it because you're right. It's so easy to get into that place where it's defensiveness or shame. And it's so true. Just like you said, it's, it, that's not helpful. It's not going to move us forward at all. If anything, it just keeps us stuck. And so I am so excited for everybody to get their hands on your book and just learn more about the messages that you're sharing. So I'm curious, what would you say is the thing that you hope your readers walk away from after reading your book and hearing your story? Thank you for asking. I like that question. It was good to think about. And I think really what I hope people feel more of um, is just compassion and I I know that when I was started writing this book, I'm telling stories that are painful to write about racist experiences that I didn't always feel were validated. Mm. And when I started writing, I felt a lot of rage, but rage. I think we all have <laughs> rage for the ways we've been hurt in our lives. Right. Um, and I even think that a certain level of rage is good sometimes. Um, but what ended up happening in this book was compassion. That was the mm. gift of the book to me. And that's what I want for others wow. to experience as well. Because there's so much division right now. There's so much political and societal discord. And the church has been right mm -hmm. there in the muck of it all throwing down just as much <laughs> as everyone else. And what I really want is for people to, um, I hope my book offers a perspective. So that's my hope for the book. And I, and I hope, I hope it works. <laughs> it will for some, it will for those who need it. And it won't for others. Absolutely. Well, I, for one, cannot wait to get my hands on it. I'm so excited. So before we go, will you please tell everybody where they can connect with you, grab your book and learn more? Yeah. Um, my book is The Brown Girls of Tiffany. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And I also have it on my website, uh, links to all the places on my website, which is RevAureliaJoy.com. You can follow me on Instagram if you want active at, uh, at RevAureliaJoy. And I also wrote a free discussion guide that my publisher has put out on their website um, for anyone who wants to. That's amazing. Okay. Well, I will be sure to link everything in the show notes, the description for you guys to grab, because trust me, you don't want to miss out on this. Definitely go follow Aurelia. She's got so many amazing, powerful resources that trust me, you just don't want to miss out on. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for writing this book. I'm so excited for all that you're doing, thankful for what you're doing. And I just know it's going to make such a huge impact on so many women all over. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the Byword Show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember, I am cheering you on.